What is going on, friends? Thank you for joining us for the New Vision Podcast. We here at New Vision believe that the gospel transforms lives. So we're going to take an opportunity to open up God's word and see what he has to say so that we can take the best next step to become more like Jesus. Hey, church family, Brad White here, excited to be a part of the podcast with you today. We are going to be in 2 Samuel looking at chapter 11. In the spring, at the times when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole army of Israel. They destroyed the Amorites and besieged Rabbidah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliaman, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she came back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to David, David asked how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace with all of his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told Uriah did not go home. So David asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why did you not go home? Uriah said to David, the ark of Israel and Judah are staying in the tents and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house and eat, drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, stay here one more day and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that next day. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on the mat amongst his master's servants and did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, Put Uriah out in front where the fighting is the fiercest, then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah out in a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out to fight against Joab, some of David's men fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger, When you have finished giving the king this account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up, and he may ask you, Why did you all get so close to the city? Didn't you know that they would shoot arrows from the walls? Who killed Abimelech, son of Jerobbesheth? Did a woman drop an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died? Why did you get so close to the wall? If he asks you this, then you will say to him, Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. The messenger set out, and when he arrived, he told David everything that Joab had sent him to say. The messenger said to David, The men overpowered us and came out against us in the open. But we drove them back to the entrance of the city gate. Then the archers shot arrows at your servants from the wall, and some of the king's men are dead. Moreover, your servant, Uriah the Hittite, is dead. David told the messenger, Say this to Joab, Don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. 
When Uriah's wife heard about her husband and heard he was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. This story is a heavy one. There are so many different facets to what's happening here and so many different directions that we could go to understand ourselves better and to understand who God is better. Here's the story summed up, though. David really was where he wasn't supposed to be at a time that Israel was at war. Verse 1 opens up and says, In the spring when kings are at war. Well, where is David? David is at the palace. He's a king. He's supposed to be at war, but he's not. He decided to stay home. So in previous chapters of 2 Samuel, you see that David is fully engaged with the army. He is leading the charge against the enemies. But what we see here is David is distracted. He's disengaged. He has ultimately abandoned the mission. And what I have seen in my own life and what I have seen in others' lives around me is that a man or a woman who has no mission, a man or a woman who is disengaged or distracted is really a man or woman that is headed for destruction. You know, as I've thought about this story just so many times, this is this is one of my favorite stories to, to have the chance to teach on. I don't think that David was a dumb guy. I think David was a highly intelligent guy. And I think David knew that if he were to go walk on his roof at a certain time of day, that he might just happen to see someone else on top of their roof bathing. It wasn't like this was an abnormal thing in his culture. And I started thinking about that idea and thinking about what is it that is the proverbial rooftop that exists in my life? That thing that draws me that maybe is not necessarily a bad thing, but it could lead to something else. Maybe for you, it's walking by that person's desk at the office that they just seem to say the right things to you or you just like the feeling of being around them. Maybe it's just being on the internet and clicking the pop-up links that show up and just seeing where they might end up leading you. Maybe it's reading that book or watching that show. And in the moment, these things seem really innocent, but the reality is is that immorality and lust often start with the smallest of compromises. And what we see is that David made a compromise by not being in the place that he was supposed to be in, by not being engaged in a battle. He found himself losing this battle against lust. So how do we win this battle against lust? I think first and foremost, it starts when we realize when we are the most vulnerable. I think first is recognizing when we are in the wrong place. David was on the roof. He was tempting himself. When is it that we are tempting ourselves? We need to be aware of the things that draw us that are potentially putting us in a bad physical proximity. Number two, I think it can happen when we are overconfident. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, it says this, So if you think that you stand firm, be careful that you do not fall. So we have to know what our triggers are. What are the things that could potentially set us off and, and lead us to making some poor decisions? Maybe it's uh, traveling on business. Maybe it's uh, having a drink um, while you're away on business. Maybe for you, it's scrolling through the movies in your hotel. Maybe for you, it's that person in the office that just draws your attention. Maybe it's scrolling on social media. 
the truth is that we are only going to be as strong in this fight as we are willing to be honest about the things that trip us up. I think also we have to have some safeguards around those areas. Maybe it's having a password on your computer or having some accountability or making sure that you're not traveling alone or making sure that you're not alone with the opposite sex. I love this quote from uh, Pastor Craig Rochelle. He says this, Why battle temptation in the future when we have the chance to eliminate it today? So this is really speaking to this idea of setting up some parameters in our life so that you know maybe right now in this moment we're not tempted to have a lustful thought or move towards a lustful action. But if we put some parameters in place when temptation comes, maybe it would make it so that we wouldn't even be able to step into that thing by having accountability software on our computer or by having somebody who's calling and checking up on us um, as we're away traveling. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 verse 29, he says this, so if your eye, even a good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And to that we would say like, seriously, Jesus, that seems really dramatic. That seems like a lot that we would take part of our body away. But I think the point that Jesus is making is what's what's the point? What What is the point of the things that we have in our lives? Maybe our phones, our computer, the books. So even if it's a good phone or a, a good computer, if it's causing us to have lustful thoughts, is it worth having that? It's better for us to be able to be in good moral standing uh, before the Lord than to find ourselves battling and fighting against the temptation that is so prevalent in this world that we live in. In uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, the Apostle Paul tells us to flee sexual immorality. And I really think that this is a simple statement because it's a, it's a statement that says and acknowledges the power of sexual sin, that we don't stand a chance against it. So it's just so much wiser for us just to run. Why would we choose to engage in a battle that we're going to lose? We should just turn and run. Ultimately, David wasn't where he was supposed to be. He saw something he shouldn't have seen, and it cost him and it cost others greatly. And it's time for us as believers, as followers of Christ, to stop justifying our actions and to stop surrendering to this idol of lust. We have to be people of honor. We have to be people of purity. We have to be people who are walking in integrity. Psalms 32 verse 5 says this, finally, I confessed all my sins to the Lord and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All of my guilt is gone. So no matter where we are in this struggle with lust, no matter how trapped we are, no matter how dark the darkness is, we have a chance to be able to confess our sins first to ourselves, secondly to God, and then to a trusted friend to be able to find freedom in this area. We really have to get to this core identity and understand who we are in Christ because it's out of our identity in Christ that we're able to walk in purity. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is, in a, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. We are a new creature, a new creation in Christ. And so today, if this is a struggle for you, I would encourage you just to reach out to a close friend and to begin to have a conversation about what it looks like to walk in purity and how to get some parameters, some guidelines set up in your life so that you can walk out this faith journey in a way that's honoring to God and honoring to your spouse. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you for this time that we've been able to spend in your word. I pray that 
you through the Holy Spirit would convict us, that you would speak to us about the things, God, where we have gone astray, and that you would help us to be able to put some guidelines into our life to help us to walk in purity. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today for the New Vision Podcast. We hope that you have heard a word from the Lord and that you can better walk today in light of God's word. To find out more information about New Vision, we would love for you to follow us on Instagram at New Vision Life or look us up online at newvisionlife.com. And as always, we look forward to seeing you tomorrow.